Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bite Size, the podcast focused on Northern Illinois University's Student Film Festival, Reality Bites. I am your co-host, Ben Rayside, and with me today is uh, the other co-host for Bite Size, Emily Freed. Emily, Emily. Freed. Yes. Hello, it's me. How are you doing today, Emily? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? I am great. I'm looking forward to uh, getting into uh, this film that we're going to be talking about. And me too. Today, we are going to be talking about, personally, one of our favorite films in this uh, uh, submitted for this festival, Sagiso. And uh, but we're not alone. Here with us to talk about the film is the director herself, Claire Lane. Miss Lane, how are you doing today? Hello, Ben. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We are beyond ecstatic to have you on here. I know me and Emily were talking before about some of our favorite films, and this definitely tops the list. Animation, everything that you poured into this was just absolutely fantastic. I was wondering, just to start us off, if you could talk about uh, your history, kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, and uh, how you really got into filmmaking. Okay. Um, I grew up in West Tennessee, and I was an only child growing up. And when I was in high school, I was homeschooled, actually. And I actually owe a big part of that to my love of animation, because it was a big companion to me watching movies. And that stayed with me when I went to college and I went to Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. And I was an animation and visual effects major. I was actually one of the first group of students that was in their new art and design building when they were really trying to implement animation as a concentration. It has not yet been made into a major, but I was very uh, excited and honored to be a part of that first class that graduated in their program. That That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, as someone who like wanted to study animation for a while, I know that there's a lot of schools that don't necessarily offer um, that kind of study. So that's like really interesting for me to hear at least. Um, yeah. And I, I can say personally, like I was also homeschooled as well. And I also really got into film because of that too. Obviously not to your level. You went way beyond, which is awesome. But uh, I, I as well, homeschooled too. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was um, it was a th an exciting experience. It was also a little intimidating too because we did not have a lot of faculty members that were familiar with animation. We had two professors that came in at different times and it was actually a husband-wife team from DreamWorks. And the husband came from DreamWorks and his wife had formerly worked at Disney and I believe she freelances for them. And their focus was 3D, animation and uh, matte painting. That was a big part of my exposure to animation in college was through those two people. Okay, all right. And so kind of getting into your film, Sagiso, animation. I mean, that's the first thing that jumps right off the screen at you. I oh, was- wait, I'm gonna interrupt you here. Yeah, okay. First, you know, because um, some of whoever is listening to this might not know much about the film yet or wants to hear a little bit a little bit about it. Um, Claire, could you tell us a little bit about the pre like the premise of your film um, in your own words? Sure. It's a story about a young Japanese girl who is visiting a Shinto shrine. And while she's there, she ends up encountering this mysterious kami spirit who ends up following her home. And the story is about what happens after that, what follows from her interaction. 
Very nice. And I will say, what follows afterwards is very epic, just as an animation-wise, as a, as story-wise, and everything like that. And that is, of course, the first thing that jumps out uh, is the animation. And I was wondering if you could kind of go into the detail and the process of how you create these drawings, because we were looking at your thesis, and it seems like it, you, it was very in-depth and something that you spent a lot of time on. Thank you so much. It's exciting to get to talk to somebody who is completely objective to the film because I never really had that opportunity. We all worked remotely during COVID and uh, that played a huge role in, in making the film. Uh, the first semester that we had in our senior year, we were all in person, but it was like halfway through that time, we all got sent home and had to kind of figure it out on our own. The, the story design itself, um, I'll start with like the visual narrative. That was all research-based, very heavily research-based because I wanted it to have a lot of historical accuracy. Uh, the tales are based off of the Grateful Crane and the Snow Lady, which are Japanese folk tales that have been around for a very long time. And it comes from that tradition of oral storytelling. So every generation that tells it, they make a new version of it. So it felt like this is an opportunity to tell a story that it's okay to change it, to make it something new to take an old story and reinvent it for a modern audience. And that was very important to me to be able to tell something that it wasn't in reinventing the wheel, but it had never been done before. And um, I was very influenced by the classic Disney films where they have like a storybook opening. And in this case, I wanted it to be a scroll was being open. You know, this is a story that has been around for a long time. And the design of the characters was me trying to explore uh, the films that I have grown up watching that have influenced how I've drawn combined with trying to, to do something that was different to try and, and trust my gut instinct on making something that was unique while also being respectful to the culture to always go back to its roots, but to also figure out what is the, the theme to the story. If there's gonna be like a moral to it, that's going to be what grounds the story. Okay, and that absolutely shines through. I mean, you can totally see that in every detail of the drawings and the animation. Um, for the drawings and the designs, did you create them all yourself, or was this kind of a collaborative process with other people? Honestly, it was on my own, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back. It simply was just how it worked out with my class, because I was in an interesting situation. I was like maybe one of three other animators in the class and the rest were either painters or ceramicists or sculptors. And so they would give me feedback uh, based on their objective opinion. Just like, did it look good? Was it interesting? Did it make sense? Because we would make animatics for our short films because I was one of three people that were actually telling a, a story that was meant to be, you know, within this limit of time and um, that was something that took a, a large chunk of time was just what's the story going to be um, before I even could decide what the characters were going to look like. Like I knew that what the, how many characters there were going to be and what the, the theme of the story would be. But after that was finally settled down, then I could move on to like the concept art, which was one of the most fun things to do because I love all of the art of movie books that are out there. Yes, I am the same way for all of the Star Wars films that release. They release ones for each one, and I am all the way in-depth when it comes uh, to those. You talked about kind of the process. How long did it take 
from the idea of the conception of this project to when you finished it? How long was that process? I've got a long answer for that and a short answer. The short answer is that it started in 2019 and finished in 2021. Okay. The long answer is that these characters have always kind of existed in my mind, I say since 2016. And in my junior year, uh, I want to say that was 2018, we had a storyboarding project and it was like a two week assignment where we had to come up with a scene, draw it out and present it to the class in a studio type setting. And I was super excited about it and I went way extra over it and spent way too much time with my cue cards and did multiple rehashings of the story. And it was the dinner scene that you see now in Sagiso. And I presented it to my class and got such positive feedback from it. They were like, this is something that you should think about for your senior year, you should hold on to this. And that's what I ended up doing. That is so cool. Holy cow. And I can tell why they were gushing because, I mean, you can totally see why. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. So personally for me um, and a lot of work that I do, I take inspiration from a lot of different things, um, especially animation, graphic novels, video games even. Um, is there anything for you that inspired Sigiso or maybe anything in general that inspires you to create the kind of work that, that you do? I would say G-Kids is a huge inspiration. They're a film house that releases international movies, and they always stood out to me because they always did 2D animation, which always spoke to me the most as a storyteller. And even before I considered myself uh, an animator or a storyteller, uh, I grew up watching a lot of their films like Song of the Sea, Secret of Kells, The Breadwinner. Uh, every time they came out with a new movie each year, I want to say that all played a huge role in Sigiso because it was... It was movies that were unlike anything that I had seen other than Disney, perhaps. They are very meditative and they usually have a huge theme about nature. Studio Ghibli would be another one, all of their films, and they're all uniquely different, but they have this beautiful um, thought process that's put behind it where it's like emotional narrative instead of action adventure. And that was a decision I made when I was making Sigi, so is that you are going to tell a story that is more about subtle acting and trying to convey this um, emotional theme rather than you know trying to do something that has a lot of flashy bells and whistles to it because previous projects i had worked on in my uh, classes were in group settings and they were usually like a little action adventure story and they were great to learn technically and to understand the software, but I never felt like they were that emotionally satisfying. There was not like there was not much to a story and the characters were not that deep. So that was a decision I knew early on that I wanted Sigiso to be about. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben has spoken a lot during this interview. He he personally wanted to lead this one because of how much he loves the film. Um, and I do too. Um, and so far, it's been by far one of our favorite submissions. Um, and something that we as students really admire too is, you know, seeing the kind of work that other students create. Um, and what is maybe some of the work that went into Sigizo that maybe some others might not expect, um, maybe on the level of it being a thesis film or maybe something else that we might not know? Mm. I think it, it kind of makes me think of the challenges that I faced when I was working on it, which would have been making the schedule for it uh, because it was all a schedule that I was going to have to follow on my own. And facing the deadline, which was a deadline that all of us shared in the class and working remotely from home. That was the biggest challenge that it really threw us off for a loop initially because 
I was making everything on Sigiso through my laptop, my, my Mac laptop and um, my drawing tablet. Uh, and, and that was it. Uh, everything that followed from there was, um, it was it was based off of my class feedback that I received, but once we moved to remote classwork and meeting through Zoom, it really changed how I, my research went, how I could share it with people, and I felt like that played a huge role in in the making of it. Um, I want to say that I learned so much about Toon Boom, especially, and how to research questions, especially when you're working on a project and it's like 11 o'clock at night. And like that little pop-up blocker comes on and it's like, oh, you cannot proceed until you fix this. And there's no one I can contact. My professors, you know, turned off their emails for the day and you learn how to do that research through Google. And then it's like some kid from Saskatchewan from 2009 had posted this <laughs> response like, oh, here's a plugin guys, you know, please follow my channel. And it's like, oh, thank goodness this exists. Um, just little things like that, that I didn't have to worry about when I was on campus. Um, it, it, it was all kinds of different things that, that played a role, and especially because the film took me a year to make. Uh, there was a lot of challenges that I would never have had to face in such a tight deadline if I had not had that experience otherwise. That's awesome. As part of that filmmaking process, in my opinion, when I'm watching a film, I'm always there for the message and the overall meaning that the story conveys. But one of my most important things when it comes to a film is the score of the film. And this one was conducted by Benjamin Lowell, and it is absolutely fantastic. Might I say my personal favorite part of the film, uh, along with the animation. I was wondering if you could kind of go into how that was and how involved you were with the scoring of that for this film. Oh, major props to Ben Lau. That that guy was amazing. Oh, um, I did not know about him prior to this film. I had to research a composer and I had no idea where to start from that. I was lucky enough to have a friend direct me to uh, Fiverr and I think Upworks was another one to look for a composer. I can't remember which one I found him through, but he was one of the uh, first people to respond to my message because I sent out a request trying to exp explain what Sigisa was because I had no animation made yet. Um, I knew how long it was going to be. I had an animatic made, but I had only so much to show them. And so it was kind of a leap of faith on both ends. But he sent in some files of like MP3 sound waves uh, from previous work. And I loved how cinematic his music sounded. It did not sound like something that was coming off of a synth keyboard which fascinated me. It sounded like, man, he had a whole orchestra in his living room or something. Yes. It was so good, especially because after the beginning, you have your narration, which is excellent. But for the rest of the film, it's largely all music and you're showing things through picture. So the score really carries that throughout the whole thing. And that's really what I love because a good score tells and enhances the story you're seeing on screen and it totally works for your film because your animation works so well along with his um his music it is absolutely beautiful what for this film what is the message that you would want people to take away if people are sitting down and watching this movie what do you want them to get out of it i would love for them to get a reminder of never losing your sense of wonder and curiosity for life you never know what the future has in store for you or who you're going to cross paths with. That was one of the initial goals 
that I remember writing down for myself about what's this message in the story going to be about. It's about finding wonder in the ordinary, this character that lives in a very mundane world and it's kind of, it's kind of flat and colorless. And she ends up coming across something, you know, mystical and she approaches it with an open mind. And uh, that was something that was extremely important to me to convey in the story as best I could without dialogue. And I would love to go back to mentioning um, Ben Lau, he, his music is a character in itself. I cannot, the story could not have been successful without his music. And I did not have to give him much direction when we were discussing the story and what the message was going to be. I remember telling him, I would love each character to have its own theme sound. Like if they could have a specific instrument to that character. And he's like, oh, I already got an idea. He listed these Japanese instruments. And I remember um, the shamisen was supposed to be the father. I think the piano was the crane lady and the young girl um, was um, like a, a wood instrument. I wish I could remember the exact words for it, but th those um, themes I think were conveyed through that music because there's no dialogue to really explain it. You just, I hope that the audience that watches it, they get something out of it personally because I wanted it to be a little open-ended for viewers. Um, I wanted it to be, you know, it, it wanted to make sense. You know, it, you don't do your job well as a storyteller unless they can get something out of it and they can follow it. But I also wanted them to know that, you know, this is something that there's, there's no right or wrong assumption to the story, if that makes sense. You can interpret it any way you'd like. And those are the best films when you can bring when you can interpret it, as you said, the way that you want. That's those are the best films that promote conversation on how you see the film versus how someone else sees the film. It, yeah, exactly. Like when I first watched the film, um, like it's so interesting hearing it from you because like, you know, when I watched this film, the main thing that I took away from, you know, there's this this environment, this world that's full of greed and wanting to take something from others in order, you know, to gain something for themselves. And then here you have this young girl who sees a, a paper crane with a broken wing and thinks, I'm going to take this home and sew it up. Like, it, it, it was something that I saw about just the simple act of kindness in, in mundane or strange situations. And it was really beautiful for me. Um, and it, it kind of personally for me makes me kind of excited to see what it is in the future that you could produce, especially considering this film was made almost entirely by yourself on a laptop with a drawing tablet. Um, and one thing that I, I do want to ask is, do you have any films that you're currently working on or, you know, you're, you're hoping on, on producing in the future? I have a lot of ideas. Right now I'm working on updating my demo reel and I have a deadline set for myself for April so that I can release it. Uh, I'm not currently working on any short films yet. My desire is to be able to expand on these stories in the future and if not through animation, then illustration or graphic novels because I remember you made a comment about that being a big source of inspiration. That is definitely the case for me because it's just like reading a storyboard. Um, I have a lot of different ideas and I try to write them all down as they come to me. Sagiso is definitely the first one where I was able to think of, you know, a beginning, middle and end and develop these characters. And I would even love to go back to the story in the future if I could, whether it was through animation or through illustration. Yeah. Um, and you talk about illustration as well. I wanted to mention this earlier. Um, we noticed that um, in your 
bio, I think it might have been in the, the thesis book that you sent us. Um, you said that you were self-taught as well, which was something that was really impressive for me. Um, what is it like making, like, you know, it's a short film, but at the same time, what is it like making a, a project or a piece of work at this scale um, when you are self-taught, you know? Like, um, I guess, like, to, to, <laughs> to specify it a little bit, like, um, how was that process of, of learning and growing as an illustrator when um, you started out teaching yourself? There's a lot of imposter syndrome in the beginning. I, I love illustration and I admire a lot of illustrators online, especially through social media. I did not get to really explore illustration as a class until the latter end of senior year when I had already done a lot of my thesis. And the opening scene of Sagisto is all illustrations. That was actually one of the last things to be made for the film because it was a last minute decision to add. It was all illustrations through Photoshop uh, based off of uh, Japanese illustrated uh, books that I had found in the library growing up. And I wanted to um, kind of pay a tribute to those while also trying to think of a way to introduce the story because I felt a little paranoid after a while that this is not going to make sense. There's no dialogue. People are going to like skip this because they're like, I don't understand what what's this going on with the, the paper cranes and this character that's looking around all the time. Uh, and I remember discussing that with my professor who happened to be an illustrator and she had done a lot of illustration projects for DreamWorks and Pixar. And she was like, Claire, this is already seven minutes long. You can't keep adding stuff. Uh, and I realized, oh, I'm going to have to trim a lot of the film. But if I want to put these illustrations in the beginning, have this narration, then I think it'll be worth it. Um, and I, I use a lot of references did a lot of research online. There's so many great, um, there's so many great options online, especially through YouTube. I'm very grateful for those resources that didn't always exist because there's a lot of illustrators out there that want to share their knowledge just simply for the sake of sharing it. And I, I know that it would not have happened for my film if I had not had access to those, those resources. Um, just things like thinking about color, uh, composition, those are all things that were very new to me. And I know that I would probably done it differently now if I was starting on the film project because there was so much to learn every day as I was making it. Yeah, um, it's it's a gorgeous film. Um, and, you know, again, like because because I am such a big fan of animation, um, it was just like seeing people submit, you know, animations in general to a film festival, it's, it's like, it's beyond me. I'm like, how on earth are like people with the same kind of workload and schedule like me making these gorgeous animated films? Um, and it, it, it's genuinely a pleasure to watch it. And it's a pleasure to speak with you um, as well. Um, for anyone who is listening, where can people find you? You know, a website or a YouTube channel or some other platform or medium? Mm. I am, I have a social media platform on Instagram. It's uh, at aesthetical uh, underscore Claire. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well. And that's just uh, under my regular name, uh, Claire, L-A-Y-N-E. And I do have a Wix website and uh, I'm currently expanding on it. And it's uh, under my full name. Uh, and you can also find the link attached to uh, Sigiso on Vimeo and on my Instagram account. I try to make sure that I have it on as many platforms as I can I can manage. 
um, to, to make sure that people have a chance to see it. Uh, but yeah, if, if I have any information that, you know, I could share um, to you guys as well, uh, I would love to do that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Claire, you have been awesome. I have so much enjoyed this interview and talking with you on your filmmaking process in everything like that. It's just been an absolute joy for me because Sagiso is one of my favorite films and I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. We appreciate the time that you've set aside for us here and uh, I just want to wish you well and we will watch your career with great interest. (laughs) 